I'm getting to that age in life and in the church where I've known increasing numbers of, bishop, of our bishops before they were elected and consecrated as such. And each time one of these things happens, I find myself reviewing whether or not that's something to which I might be called or which I might like to do. And thus far, blessedly uh, for my family and for the church, I've always come to my senses and remembered that however much I might think that fighting about sex at Lambeth would be fun, uh, hauling off on some weeknight in a diocese to put out fire or deal with an embezzling treasurer or a philandering priest would not be my cup of tea given a choice. We, we are blessed with a good bishop, a godly bishop who seems to like being a bishop, and he does it with compassion and good sense. And I share all this because uh, of that kind of inherent anxiety that comes with reaching an age in, where, in which retirement is closer than ordination and, and the horizon of death is much nearer than birth was. Uh, I, I knew of contemporaries who died when I was a schoolboy, but it was really into my 40s before I lost a close personal friend. The horizon gets nearer. And it can be that reality that leads us to a kind of anxious assessment as to how we're doing relative to others, comparisons with our friends and contemporaries and so on. There was some research on development in the adult life cycle done in the 70s and 80s by a team under a man called Daniel Levinson at Yale. And that research suggests that this tendency to competitive comparison is slightly different for men than, than for women, but that all of us are likely to be affected by it sooner or later. Certainly, Jesus' disciples were afflicted. He no sooner made the first prediction of his death at the hands of the authorities and had Peter try to talk him out of it, when the disciples start doing what? They start comparing themselves with one another. On the way to Capernaum, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. And so the seeds are planted in their own community, the, the very human dynamic that leads, in the end, to all kinds of deaths, many deaths, including Jesus' own death. It works like this. When there is tension for some reason, for any reason, in a relationship that's important to us, it becomes very threatening to take that tension head on, to name it, to address it, to face into it. And so in order to relieve the tension in the relationship, we tend to do one of two things. Either, either focus on someone who's already in the relationship, like a child, classically two people who love each other, sense a little tension, then start dealing with that tension by, by focusing all of their energies on their children or on, on a child. And, and it makes them feel better because there's a sort of common cause and we don't have to deal with that, that tension in the relationship. We gain some sense of being together rather than in conflict when we have a common concern and especially one that is sanctioned by a society that likes as a whole to function, focus anxiously on children. This is where many of our safety laws come from. But if we don't try and draw others in, and the other thing we do is to manage our anxiety that comes from some deep sense of competition or envy or common desire for something that appears to be scarce, then what we do is create an outsider, create a victim, create someone to blame, create an enemy, uh, someone who deserves to pay for our unhappiness, take someone that allows us to feel togetherness again. Think of something as simple as going to a restaurant with someone you love and the waiter comes along and tells you the specials and you both decide, you know, that special sounds really good. I think we'll both have that. 
And then the waiter comes back and says, I'm terribly sorry, we've only got one portion left. <clears throat> you know, it's just that moment. It doesn't take long to get up to figure out that you can share it or you give it up and someone else has it. It doesn't take long, but there's just that moment of tension about, about what's going on. And what do you do about that? Well, you know what's good to do? You blame the restaurant. Terrible restaurant. It's dreadful. <laughs> and, and suddenly we're feeling so good with each other in our agreement about the dreadfulness of the restaurant. And in fact, the special didn't taste that good anyway, you know. Now, that's a sort of silly example at one level, but it happens on serious levels. Perhaps we might be religious people who find ourselves at odds with the society around us and we feel less and less relevant to what's going on in the world. And we have friends who seem to get along just fine without going to church, thank you very much. And we have governments that no longer feel that we're an important constituency that has to be taken into account in the politics of the day. And so we start bickering with each other. And, and that bickering at some point becomes intolerable. So what do we do? We start casting around for some common purpose that will give us a sense of identity and togetherness and that common purpose is always over against who we are. You know what the problem is, really? It's the doctors who perform abortions. The problem is the gays. The problem is the gun lobby or the right wing. It's the Muslims. It's socialism. And as long as enough of us start believing in one of those things, then it starts feeling pretty good. And we start feeling together again. And when enough of us agree and it starts feeling good, we may not even notice that the price of our togetherness somewhere, sooner or later, is someone else's death. Matthew Shepard lay dead on a little used road in Wyoming because someone thought it was okay to kill an enemy who was gay. Just a couple of months ago, Jim Poulion lay dead outside a high school in Michigan because someone thought it was okay to kill an anti-abortion protester whose literature he didn't like. Thousands lay dead in New York and Washington and Pennsylvania because it was somehow okay to kill the enemy perceived as immoral. And Jesus, just another victim, was crucified as the religious authorities dealt with their anxieties about Rome. We're all involved. We're all implicated. None of us is without sin in this regard, even though, thank God, we don't actually pull the trigger. Hold that thought. Is there anything that can break this cycle? This ongoing cycle of anxiety, outsiders, victims being created, and ultimately people dying? Well, Jesus points to the answer. And he points to an answer in his being, and he points to an answer in his words, and he points to a a new possibility in his actions. In his being, he is an integrated self. He didn't get caught up in the disciples' stuff. Doesn't judge them for their competitive anxiety. Doesn't berate them. Doesn't put them down. Ask the question, what are we talking about? Stays connected. Stays loving. Doesn't buy into the conversation. Just stays present stays present. And then in his words, he tells them that the way to live fully and to lay to, the way to live free and the way to get out of this cycle is the way to be first in the kingdom 
That way is to be a servant. He doesn't say be servile. He doesn't say avoid power. He says be of service. Add value. Consider the needs of others and you will discover your own truest needs and deepest hopes and desires. And then what does he do? What does he do in action? He takes a child in the midst of this community of friends. He takes someone who in any society is among the most vulnerable. And he says, and he puts that among the disciples and tells them, rather than creating victims, rather than capitalizing on the vulnerabilities of others, rather than seeking togetherness at someone else's expense, you are to welcome these people, as you would welcome a child. Whoever they are and wherever we find them, welcome them. And in, in so doing, we welcome him, the one who died as a consequence of all that anxiety that led to his death and led us to sin. Now, becoming an integrated person is partly a matter of practice. It's not something we can just do in the twinkling of an eye or the snap of a finger. It's not something we pull off a shelf and put on like a new suit. It's, it's, it's more something we have to practice welcoming others, finding ways to serve, practicing generosity in as many ways as we can. It's partly a matter of allowing God to work in us to draw us to be the more fully the people we were created to be. And when, I, when I practice generosity, even if I don't particularly feel like it in any sort of way, often that makes me less anxious, less stuck, more free. And one key spiritual practice on the way to becoming an integrated person for this community, for us, is gathering around this table. And when we gather around the table, we are confronted by those we victimize in many, many ways who may well be quite literally across the table from us. And at the same time, they are across the table from us and we go with all of our own vulnerabilities and all of our own hurts and all those times when we've been excluded or cut out, or judged, or blamed. Uh, even if we're strong enough to handle it, we're still across the table from one another. And we are all together, everyone, offered transformation through the forgiveness that comes from the victim of the cross. That forgiveness is offered to all of us. And it is part and parcel of breaking the cycle of anxiety, togetherness, victimization, and death. I know this sounds, can sound pretty highfalutin at some level, but following Jesus in the way of life comes down to practices that help us watch out for those times when we're tempted to find togetherness at the expense of others, or when we find, another clue is when we find ourselves feeling competitive in ways that could lead us to be untrue to ourselves, it means things like not spending all your waking hours talking with the one you love only about your children. It means not being seduced into seeking a role without wanting the reality that goes with it. It means finding ways to stay present and connected and even make space for those who are vulnerable and especially perhaps those whom we are inclined to despise. Do these fairly simple things and you will not be far from the reign of God. Let us respond, as usual, to the gospel in silence and in prayer.